0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 13 through 16, from Anna Sewell's Black Beauty. And now, chapter 13, The Devil's Trademark. One day, when John and I had been out on some business of our masters, and were returning gently on a long, straight road, at some distance we saw a boy trying to leap a pony over a gate. The pony would not take the leap, and the boy cut him with a whip, but he only turned off on one side. He whipped him again, but the pony turned off on the other side. Then the boy got off and gave him a hard thrashing and knocked him about the head. Then he got up again and tried to make him leap the gate, kicking him all the time shamefully, but still the pony refused. When we were nearly at the spot, the pony put down his head and threw up his heels and sent the boy neatly over into a broad quickset hedge, and with the rain dangling from his head, he set off home at a full gallop. John laughed out loud. "'Served him right,' he said. "'Oh!' cried the boy, as he struggled about among the thorns. "'I say, come and help me out!' said John. "'I think you are quite in the right place, and maybe a little scratching will teach you not to leap a pony over a gate that's too high for him.' And so with that, John rode off. "'It may be,' said he to himself, that young fellow is a liar as well as a cruel one. We'll just go home by Farmer Bushby's beauty, and then see if anybody wants to know you, and I can tell him, you see. So we turned off to the right, and soon came up to the stackyard, and within sight of the house. The farmer was hurrying out into the road, and his wife was standing at the gate, looking very frightened. Have you seen my boy? said Mr. Busby as we came up. He went out an hour ago on my black pony, and the creature has just come back without a rider. I should think, sir, said John, he had better be without a rider, unless he can be ridden properly. What do you mean? said the farmer. Well, sir, I saw your son whipping and kicking and knocking that good little pony about shamefully, because he would not leap a gate that was too high for him. The pony behaved well, sir, and showed no vice "'but at last he just threw up his heels "'and tipped the young gentleman into the thorn hedge. "'He wanted me to help him out. "'But I hope you will excuse me, sir. "'I did not feel inclined to do so. "'There's no bones broken, sir. "'He'll only get a few scratches. "'I love horses, and it riles me to see them badly used. "'It is a bad plan to aggravate an animal "'till he uses his heels. "'The first time is not always the last.' "'During this time the mother began to cry.' "'Oh, my poor Bill! I must go and meet him. He must be hurt.' "'You had better go into the house, wife,' said the farmer. "'Bill wants a lesson about this, and I must see that he gets it. "'This is not the first time, nor the second, that he has ill-used that pony, "'and I shall stop it. I am much obliged to you, Manly. Good evening.' So we went on, John chuckling all the way home. Then he told James about it, who laughed and said— Serves him right. I knew that boy at school. He took great airs upon himself because he was a farmer's son. He used to swagger about and bully the little boys. Of course, we elder ones would not have any of that nonsense, and we let him know that in the school and in the playground farmer's sons and laborer's sons were all alike. I well remember one day, just before afternoon school, I found him at the large window catching flies and pulling off their wings. He did not see me, "'and I gave him a box on the ears "'that laid him sprawling on the floor. "'Well, angry as I was, "'I was almost frightened. "'He roared and bellowed in such a style. "'The boys rushed in from the playground, "'and the master ran in from the road "'to see who was being murdered. "'Of course I said fair and square at once "'what I had done, and why. "'Then I showed the master the flies, "'some crushed and some crawling about helpless, "'and I showed him the wings on the windowsill.' I never saw him so angry before. But as Bill was still howling and whining, like the coward that he was, he did not give him any more punishment of that kind, but set him up on a stool for the rest of the afternoon, and said that he should not go out to play for that week. Then he talked to all the boys very seriously about cruelty, and said how hard-hearted and cowardly it was to hurt the weak and the helpless. But what stuck in my mind was this, He said that cruelty was the devil's own trademark, and if we saw anyone who took pleasure in cruelty, we might know who he belonged to, for the devil was a murderer from the beginning, and a tormentor to the end. On the other hand, where we saw people who loved their neighbors, and were kind to man and beast, we might know that was God's mark. "'Your master never taught you a truer thing,' said John. "'There is no religion without love.' and people may talk as much as they like about their religion, but if it does not teach them to be good and kind to man and beast, it's all a sham. All a sham, James. And it won't stand when things come to be turned inside out. We'll return with Chapter 14 of Black Beauty, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 14, James Howard. Early one morning in December, John just led me into my box after my daily exercise, and was strapping my cloth on, and James was coming in from the corn chamber with some oats, when the master came into the stable. He looked rather serious, and held an open letter in his hand. John fastened the door of my box, touched his cap, and waited for orders. "'Good morning, John,' said the master. "'I want to know if you have any complaint to make of James.' complaint sir no sir is he industrious at his work and respectful to you yes sir always you never find he slights his work when your back is turned never sir that's well but i must put another question have you no reason to suspect when he goes out with the horses to exercise them or take a message that he stops about talking to his acquaintances or goes into the houses where he has no business "'leaving the horses outside?' "'No, sir, certainly not. "'And if anybody has been saying that about James, "'I wouldn't believe it. "'And I don't mean to believe it "'unless I have it fairly proved before witnesses. "'It's not for me to say "'who has been trying to take away James's character. "'But I will say this, sir, "'that a steadier, pleasanter, "'honester, smarter young fellow "'I never had in this stable. "'I can trust his word, "'and I can trust his work.' "'He is gentle and clever with the horses, "'and I would rather have them in charge with him "'than half the young fellows I know of "'in laced hats and liveries. "'And whoever wants a character of James Howard,' "'said John, with a decided jerk of his head, "'let them come to John Manley.' "'The master stood all this time grave and attentive, "'but as John finished his speech, "'a broad smile spread over his face, "'and looking kindly across at James.' "'who all this time had stood still at the door, he said, "'James, my lad, sit down the oats and come here. "'I am very glad to find that John's opinion of your character "'agrees so exactly with my own. "'John is a cautious man,' he said, with a droll smile, "'and it is not always easy to get his opinion about people. "'So I thought if I beat the bush on this side, "'the birds would fly out, "'and I should learn what I wanted to know quickly.' "'so now we will come to business. "'I have a letter from my brother-in-law, "'Sir Clifford Williams of Clifford Hall. "'He wants me to find him a trustworthy young groom, "'about twenty or twenty-one, "'who knows his business. "'His old coachman, who has lived with him thirty years, "'is getting feeble, "'and he wants a man to work with him "'and get into his ways, "'who would be able, when the old man was pensioned off, "'to step into his place. "'He would have eighteen shillings a week at first. "'A stable suit, a driving suit, a bedroom over the coach-house, and a boy under him. "'Sir Clifford is a good master, and if you could get the place, it would be a good start for you. "'I don't want to part with you, and if you left us, I know John would lose his right hand.' "'That I should, sir,' said John, but I would not stand in his light for the world.' "'How old are you, James?' said Master. Nineteen next May, sir.' "'That's young. What do you think, John?' "'Well, sir, it is young. But he is as steady as a man, and is strong, and well-grown. And though he has not had much experience in driving, he has a light, firm hand, and a quick eye, and he is very careful. And I am quite sure no horse of his will be ruined for want of having his feet and shoes looked after.' "'Your word will go the furthest, John,' said the master, for Sir Clifford adds in a postscript, If I could find a man trained by your John, I should like him better than any other. So, James, lad, think it over. Talk to your mother at dinner time, and then let me know what you wish. In a few days after this conversation, it was fully settled that James should go to Clifford Hall in a month or six weeks, as it suited his master. And in the meantime, he was to get all the practice in driving that could be given to him. "'I never knew the carriage to go out so often before. "'When the mistress did not go out, "'the master drove himself in the two-wheeled chaise. "'But now, whether it was master or the young ladies, "'or only an errand, "'Ginger and I were put in the carriage, "'and James drove us. "'At the first John rode with him on the box, "'telling him this and that, "'and after that James drove alone. "'Then it was wonderful what a number of places "'the master would go to in the city on Saturday.' "'and what queer streets we were driven through. "'He was sure to go to the railway station "'just as the train was coming in, "'and cabs and carriages, carts and omnibuses "'were all trying to get over the bridge together. "'That bridge wanted good horses and good drivers "'when the railway bell was ringing, "'for it was narrow, "'and there was a very sharp turn up to the station, "'where it would not have been at all difficult "'for people to run into each other "'if they did not look sharp "'and keep their wits about them.' AND NOW CHAPTER 15 THE OLD HOSTLER After this it was decided by my master and mistress to pay a visit to some friends who lived about forty-six miles from our home, and James was to drive them. The first day we traveled thirty-two miles. There were some long, heavy hills, but James drove so carefully and thoughtfully that we were not at all harassed. He never forgot to put on the brake as we went downhill, nor to take it off at the right place. "'He kept our feet on the smoothest part of the road, "'and if the uphill was very long, "'he set the carriage wheels a little across the road "'so as not to run back, and gave us a breathing. "'All these little things help a horse very much, "'particularly if he gets kind words into the bargain. "'We stopped once or twice on the road, "'and just as the sun was going down, "'we reached the town where we were to spend the night. "'We stopped at the principal hotel,' which was in the marketplace. It was a very large one. We drove under an archway into a long yard, at the further end of which were the stables and coach-houses. Two hostlers came to take us out. The head hostler was a pleasant, active little man, with a crooked leg and a yellow-striped waistcoat. I never saw a man unbuckle harness so quickly as he did, and with a pat and a good word he led me into a long stable. "'with six or eight stalls in it, and two or three horses. "'The other man brought Ginger. "'James stood by while we were rubbed down and cleaned. "'I never was cleaned so lightly and quickly as by that little old man. "'When he had done, James stepped up and felt me over, "'as if he thought I could not be thoroughly done. "'But he found my coat as clean and smooth as silk. "'Well,' he said, "'I thought I was pretty quick, and our John quicker still.' BUT YOU DO BEAT ALL I EVER SAW FOR BEING QUICK AND THOROUGH AT THE SAME TIME. "'PRACTICE MAKES PERFECT,' SAID THE CROOKED LITTLE HOSTLER. AND t'would BE A PITY IF IT DIDN'T. FORTY YEARS PRACTICE, AND NOT PERFECT? HA! THAT WOULD BE A PITY. AND AS TO BEING QUICK, WHY, BLESS YOU, THAT IS ONLY A MATTER OF HABIT. IF YOU GET INTO THE HABIT OF BEING QUICK, IT IS JUST AS EASY AS BEING SLOW. EASIER, I SHOULD SAY. In fact, it don't agree with my health to be hulking about over a job twice as long as it needs take. Bless you! I couldn't whistle if I crawled over my work as some folks do. You see, I've been about horses ever since I was twelve. In hunting stables, and racing stables, and being small, you see, I was jockey for several years. But at the Goodwood, you see, the turf was very slippery, and my poor Larkspur got a fall. "'and I broke my knee. "'And so, of course, I was of no more use there. "'But I could not live without horses. "'Of course I couldn't. "'So I took to the hotels. "'And I can tell ye it's a downright pleasure "'to handle an animal like this. "'Well-bred, mannered well cared well-care-for-it. "'Bless ye. "'I can tell how the horse is treated. "'Give me the handling of a horse for twenty minutes, "'and I'll tell you what sort of groom he's had. "'Look at this one. "'Pleasant.' "'Quiet, turns about just as you want him, "'holds up his feet to be cleaned out, "'or anything else you please to wish. "'Then you'll find another fidgety, "'Freddy, won't move the right way, "'or starts across the stall, "'tosses up his head as soon as you come near him, "'lays his ears, and seems afraid of you, "'or else squares about at you with his heels. "'Poor things. "'I know what sort of treatment they've had. "'If they're timid, it makes them start or shy.' "'If they're high-mettled, it makes them vicious or dangerous. "'Their tempers are mostly made when they're young. "'Bless you! They are like children. "'Train them up in the way they should go, as the good book says. "'And when they're old, they will not depart from it, if they have a chance.' "'I like to hear you talk,' said James. "'That's the way we lay it down at home, at our masters.' "'Who's your master, young man?' "'If it be a proper question.' "'I should judge he's a good one, from what I see.' "'He is Squire Gordon, of Bertwick Park, "'the other side the Beacon Hills,' said James. "'Ah, so, so. "'I've heard tell of him. "'Fine judge of horses, ain't he? "'The best rider in the county.' "'I believe he is,' said James. "'But he rides very little now, "'since the poor young master was killed.' "'Ah, poor gentleman.' I READ ALL ABOUT IT IN THE PAPER AT THE TIME. A FINE HORSE KILLED TOO, WASN'T THERE? YES, SAID JAMES. HE WAS A SPLENDID CREATURE. BROTHER TO THIS ONE, AND JUST LIKE HIM. A PITY, PITY, SAID THE OLD MAN. TWAS A BAD PLACE TO LEAP, IF I REMEMBER. A THIN FENCE AT TOP, A STEEP bank DOWN TO THE STREAM, WASN'T IT? NO CHANCE FOR A HORSE TO SEE WHERE HE'S GOING. Now, I am for bold riding as much as any man, but still there are some leaps that only a very knowing old huntsman has any right to take. A man's life and a horse's life are worth more than a fox's tail, at least, I should say, they ought to be. During this time the other man had finished ginger and had brought a corn, and James and the old man left the stable together. Our final chapter today, Chapter 16, the fire. Later on in the evening a traveller's horse was brought in by the second hostler, and while he was cleaning him a young man with a pipe in his mouth lounged into the stable to gossip. "'I say, toller,' said the hostler, "'just run up the ladder into the loft and put some hay down into this horse's rack, will you? Only lay down your pipe.' "'All right,' said the other, and went up to the trap-door.' "'and heard him step across the floor overhead "'and put down the hay. "'James came in to look at us the last thing, "'and then the door was locked. "'I cannot say how long I had slept, "'nor what time in the night it was, "'but I woke up very uncomfortable, "'though I hardly knew why. "'I got up. "'The air seemed all thick and choking. "'I heard Ginger coughing, "'and one of the other horses seemed very restless. "'It was quite dark, "'and I could see nothing.' "'but the stable seemed full of smoke, "'and I hardly knew how to breathe. "'The trap-door had been left open, "'and I thought that was the place it came through. "'I listened and heard a soft rushing sort of noise "'and a low crackling and snapping. "'I did not know what it was, "'but there was something in the sound so strange "'that it made me tremble all over. "'The other horses were all awake, "'some were pulling at their halters, "'others stamping.' At last I heard steps outside, and the hostler who had put up the traveller's horse burst into the stable with a lantern, and began to untie the horses, and try to lead them out, but he seemed in such a hurry, and so frightened himself, that he frightened me still more. The first horse would not go with him. He tried the second, and the third, and they too would not stir. He came to me next, and tried to drag me out of the stall by force, but of course that was no use.' "'He tried us all by turns, and then left the stable. "'No doubt we were very foolish, but danger seemed to be all round, "'and there was nobody we knew to trust in, and all was strange and uncertain. "'The fresh air that had come through the open door made it easier to breathe, "'but the rushing sound overhead grew louder, "'and as I looked upward through the bars of my empty rack, "'I saw a red light flickering upon the wall.' Then I heard the cry of fire outside, and the old hostler quickly and quietly came in. He got one horse out, and went to another, but the flames were playing round the trap door, and the roaring overhead was dreadful. The next thing I heard was James's voice, quiet and cheery, as it always was. Come, my beauties, it's time for us to be off, so wake up and come along. I stood nearest the door, so he came to me first, patting me as he came in. "'Come along, beauty. On with your bridle, my boy. We'll soon be out of this smother.' It was on in no time. Then he took the scarf off his neck and tied it tightly over my eyes, and, patting and coaxing, he led me out of the stable. Safe in the yard, he slipped the scarf off my eyes and shouted, "'Here, somebody, take this horse, while I go back for the other.' A tall, broad man stepped forward and took me, and James darted back into the stable. I set up a shrill whinny as I saw him go. Ginger told me afterward that Winnie was the best thing I could have done for her, for had she not heard me outside, she never would have had courage to come out. There was much confusion in the yard, the horses being got out of other stables, and the carriages and gigs being pulled out of houses and sheds, lest the flame should spread further. On the other side of the yard, windows were thrown up, "'and people were shouting all sorts of things. "'But I kept my eye fixed on the stable door, "'where the smoke poured out thicker than ever, "'and I could see flashes of red light. "'Presently I heard above all the stir and din "'a loud, clear voice, which I knew was master's. "'James Howard! James Howard, are you there?' "'There was no answer. "'But I heard a crash of something falling in the stable, "'and the next moment I gave a loud, joyful neigh, for I saw James coming through the smoke, leading Ginger with him. She was coughing violently, and he was not able to speak. "'My brave lad!' said Master, laying his hand on his shoulder. "'Are you hurt?' James shook his head, for he could not yet speak. "'Aye!' said the big man who held me. "'He's a brave lad. Make no mistake.' "'And now,' said Master, "'when you've got your breath, James,' "'We'll get out of this place as quickly as we can.' "'And we were moving toward the entry, "'when from the marketplace there came a sound of galloping feet "'and loud rumbling wheels. "'Tis the fire-engine!' shouted two or three voices. "'Stand back! Make way!' "'And clattering and thundering over the stones, two horses dashed into the yard with a heavy engine behind them. "'The fireman leaped to the ground. "'There was no need to ask where the fire was.' "'It was rolling up in a great blaze from the roof. "'We got out as fast as we could "'into the broad, quiet marketplace. "'The stars were shining, "'and except the noise behind us, "'all was still. "'Master led the way to a large hotel "'on the other side, "'and as soon as the hostler came, he said, "'James, I must now hasten to your mistress. "'I trust the horses entirely to you. "'Order whatever you think is needed.' "'And with that he was gone.' The master did not run, but I never saw a mortal man walk so fast as he did that night. There was a dreadful sound before we got into our stalls, the shrieks of those poor horses that were left burning to death in the stable. It was very terrible, and made both Ginger and me feel very bad. We, however, were taken in, and well done by. The next morning the master came to see how we were— and to speak to James. I did not hear much, for the hostler was rubbing me down, but I could see that James looked very happy, and I thought the master was proud of him. Our mistress had been so much alarmed in the night that the journey was put off till the afternoon, so James had the morning on hand, and went first to the inn to see about our harness and the carriage, and then to hear more about the fire. When he came back, we heard him tell the hostler about it, "'At first no one could guess how the fire had been caused. "'But at last a man said he saw Dick Towler "'go into the stable with a pipe in his mouth, "'and when he came out he had not one "'and went to the tap for another. "'Then the under-hostler said that he had asked Dick "'to go up the ladder to put down some hay, "'but told him to lay down his pipe first. "'Dick denied taking the pipe with him, "'but no one believed him. "'I remember our John Manley's rule.' never to allow a pipe in the stable, and thought it ought to be the rule everywhere. James said the roof and floor had all fallen in, and that only the black walls were standing. The two poor horses that could not be got out were buried under the burnt rafters and tiles. Thanks for joining us today for Black Beauty by Anna Sewell. This is 1001 Greatest Love Stories. If you're enjoying our story, please do share our show with others, And also, especially if you're an Apple listener, please stop and send us a review. We would appreciate a review describing this story very, very much. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. We'll be back next Saturday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.